Hello and welcome to the Happy Humans podcast where we explore the fascinating and often misunderstood world of human behavior and communication. And today I get to talk to someone who I saw speak from the stage last week on a topic that I don't normally think a lot about, I don't, I don't normally read a lot about, but it caught my attention. It was about a major threat facing uh, not just this nation, but really the whole world. Dr. Joe Gulati is who we're speaking to today. Brian, thank you. This, thank is, a, this is a, a thrill and an honor. For me as well. And you might have actually heard of Dr. Gulati. He uh, has his own program, Your Health First, uh, that you can hear on iHeartRadio and 740KTRH. 17 years. Wow. It's hard. Uh, 17 years. Every Sunday I've been doing that. Every Sunday, so it's, a passion. Your voice. It's, it's a passion to do that. Right. Speaking on healthcare, you're at the forefront of a very particular, uh, very particular area of healthcare. You're a hepatologist. That's right. Liver liver disease. Um, to be, to become a hepatologist, you first go through uh, internal medicine, gastroenterology, and then specialize in just the liver, but it's a fascinating organ, lots of disease, and a lot of people don't know about the liver, and so uh, there's uh, an opportunity to teach and educate both patients and my colleagues. Yeah, I've got to say, I think I probably asked my parents what a liver does every year for the first I don't know, 15 years of my life. Right. <laughs> it's such a complicated organ. It is. But look, you've we're here at the Texas Medical Center where you've seen a lot of progress mm-hmm. and, and you've seen the situation change. But uh, give us a win. Like, what's a win that we've had? Well, within liver disease, first of all, the cure for hepatitis C that we have been really working on since the mid 19. 80s. Roughly three to four million people have hepatitis C. It is a deadly infection in some cases, leading to cirrhosis and liver cancer and the need for a liver transplant. Now, we had really marginal medications for that, but worse than marginal, they were very toxic. Mm. And so patients would come to us, they needed to be treated, and we made them sick for one to two years. And so not only do the patients have to be brave, I really wonder how we came to work and were enthusiastic to, to give poison to patients with only a marginal response. But through a lot of hard work and discovery and testing and research, probably about four or five years ago, we got to the point where we now have one pill, almost no side effects, with better than a 95% cure rate. And as far as communication goes, Ryan, I don't know why more people do not know about this breakthrough. I was at a talk this morning, and people are still marveled that there are such therapies, and somehow the word has just not gotten out that hepatitis C can be cured today. Isn't it incredible? We've made so much progress. So many diseases have been mitigated or even cured up to this point, and we hear a lot of bad news, but... It's nice to hear that we have a win every now and then. Oh, absolutely. And uh, so that, in, in a sense, is uh, probably the highlight of, of my career because I started my career in the, in the early days of understanding hepatitis C and those dreadful therapies we had. And now in, I don't want to say the last quarter, but you know, certainly in, in the later years of my 
30 years of practicing, it's great to see that we could just cross it out and mm. say, while it's not good to have hepatitis C, we have a therapy that's very good. Right, right. And I think that that's very important. I mean, as humans, if we hear that there's no chance, there's no way of helping, we just kind of give up, right. don't we? Right. And, and there, over the years, it's amazing, there have been patients where they purposely would not come and seek treatment because they knew the therapy was dreadful. Mm. Uh, but now uh, they're still a little skeptical about the therapy uh, when we tell them, no, there's no side effects, nearly 100% cure rate, they're like, no, 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 I read something and it's going to make me sick. And I'm like, yes, that is old data. Old data, yeah. Old data. I feel like we're entering the era of Star Trek now, things yeah. that we're making some headway. But but we still have to keep a, 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 we have to be careful about things. Now, one of the interesting points that you made in your talk is you showed a picture of your waiting room. Right. And how it used to be filled with all these hepatitis C patients, and then all of a sudden, this void of patients, there's no one waiting there. But then you saw an influx of a different kind of patient. Yeah, yes. That is the patient with fatty liver disease, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And so you're right. We had, there was, uh, I, I like to say, standing room only mm. for the hepatitis C patients and their therapies. They're gone. And there, there are many of my staff that, as, as well-trained as they are, they do not have deep knowledge of hepatitis C because they just have not had that kind of exposure. But they are now experts in fatty liver, which is a direct uh, descendant of obesity, which is a worldwide problem. Well, I mean, I feel like, though, that there's always been obesity. There's always been people that didn't eat that, that well. Mm -hmm. I mean, is it, really, is it really becoming as big of a threat as we see it portrayed? You know, you look at all sorts of curves and diagrams and graphs, and it's all going in the wrong way. It's all going up. Mm. And despite the Internet, despite uh, opportunities to learn, uh, the food supply is safer. There's more variety. But actually, the variety may be part of the problem. Oh, really? Yeah, that there are so many manufactured foods. You know, back 100 years ago, there were carrots peppers, squash, right. spinach. Now we have, options. yeah, what? Not a lot of options. Not a lot of options. And, and now the, I've got a great slide on another talk and I talk about it in, in the book. In the 1970s, and I'm sort of uh, paraphrasing, there was something like in a typical grocery store in the United States, there was something like 15 or 20,000 products. Mm. Today, it's, it's close to 80,000. So most of these are in the frozen section, the pre-made. They're in a can, a box, a bag. They could stay uh, fresh uh, at room temperature. And so these are the products that have been manufactured and stripped of all the nutrients and the fiber that people are buying. They're convenient. They have a long shelf life. And we're just eating the wrong foods. So we're eating these wrong foods. Our lifestyles change. Right. So now the kinds of people that you have coming into your office, I mean, what, what kinds of conversations are you having with them? Well, you know, the typical conversation may be we see a patient, they are obese, they have 
pre-diabetes. And what is what is obese, really? Oh, what is obese? Well, we go by body mass index, which is taking your height, taking your weight, putting it into an online calculator, typically. Mm. And there are normal, overweight, obese, and morbidly obese ranges. So we would do that. Now, there's a little bit of argument on that. There are some more sophisticated calculations of your hip waist ratio mm-hmm. and how many minch, uh, how, how how many inches you've got uh, you know from your hip to the floor things like that but most experts would say body mass index is a good starting point to say you're normal overweight or obese or morbidly obese so we see these patients they are many of them pre-diabetic which means they're in that reversible stage Okay. With attention, they could reverse it. They have high cholesterol, high triglycerides, and typically they have high blood pressure. And again, their obesity, which everybody has heard, is that truncal obesity. It's that belly fat. Right. It's not the fat in your chest or your behind. It's in the belly. And uh, we will get the medical history, but then my staff and I will give a, uh, a uh, dietary history. People are eating out. They're eating convenience foods, and they're not making a meal from scratch the way they should be. Yeah, so it's those processed foods that have changed, and those are the most available to us. But you have somebody come in. I mean, uh, surely they've they've had conversations with their doctors. Right. They've they've had some heads up that they're heading down a, a, a negative path. Right. Well, they, they, as I tell patients or I ask them, when is that red light in your head going to go off? What part of this conversation scares you or frightens you? Is it the fact that you may end up with liver cancer? Is it the point that you may end up on dialysis or have a premature heart attack or stroke? Does that phase you? And for some, it absolutely freaks them out. One gentleman in particular, this goes back uh, about 10 years, I had a conversation with him, told him what was going on. He was pre-diabetic. That night, literally, he went out, got rid of all the junk food. He bought vegetables. He took cooking classes. And then he got a bike and he took up major league cycling to the point where he was cycling around the, the, the bayous here in Houston anywhere between 80 to 140 miles a week. He lost 40 pounds, his blood sugar went down to normal, and his fatty liver basically went away within a year. And to this day, I still see him, and he's still cycling and still pretty, uh, uh, a a little neurotic in a sense, Mm. but that is what it is going to take. Others just hear the same information, and they it's uh, sort of in one ear and out the other. Now, what, what would you attribute that to? I mean, I would imagine that there's some resistance because somebody's lived their whole life with a certain set of habits, eating a certain way, uh, making that change of, of biking hundreds of miles and, and a dramatic change in, in diet. I mean, it would seem to me that that would be the exception. It it really is, and it's it's a uh, an uphill battle. We are um, very planted in our desire to help people. 
this is not for the lighthearted to, mm. to talk to patients. And so we have to, for each patient, we've got to figure out where that little doorway is mm. into their soul. Okay? Is it talking about your grandchildren? That you're about to retire and you want to go fishing and hunting and traveling with your four little grandchildren. I would say, believe it or not, Ryan, that is probably the number one reason they want to live. Their grandchildren. The heck with the wife. The heck with their kids. <laughs> it's, it's the grandchildren. Uh, the other thing is they look at it from a financial standpoint. If they get sick, they may lose their company. They may have, uh, they don't have disability insurance, and they finally say, I really have to get on, on the stick. Uh, and, and, and so it's, we try to dig and find out where that crack is and, and, and try to go there. If they need to learn how to cook, we help them with that. If they need to know how to shop, we help them with that. Good. So it's really about helping a patient change their habits and giving them what they need, even if that's in slow motion? It, it really is. And the, my, my fellow physicians and practitioners, they, they at this point do not have this really deep interest to take the time to do mm. it. They may see you and they'll say, Ryan, eat more fruits and vegetables, and then you walk out. And you, you say, okay, yeah, doctor so-and-so said more fruits and vegetables. I know that. I've heard of that my whole life. You go to the supermarket. You pick up an eggplant. You have no idea how to cook the eggplant. Do I keep the skin on it? Do I eat the seeds? Do I boil it? Do I fry it? Do I bake it? Mm. And you say, the hell with this. Aisle 17, aisle 18, aisle 19, frozen foods, pop it in the microwave. I'm good. And there you go. So a lot of what I have found, and I've been studying for a long time, the the skill of cooking has gone down tremendously. And so people don't make the connection between good health and maybe I need to cook or I'm going to go online and, and, and take a little cooking course. And so there's so many options for other foods, i.e. the supermarket and 80,000 products. Why the hell do I need to learn how to cook? Mm-hmm. And, and so that is um, a, a big problem, that people have that idea, but completing the cycle, sort of say, to say, I'm going to go, we're going to make uh, three vegetables tonight, we're going to roast them, and we'll have a little piece of fish and grill that, and we'll have a nice little meal. It's not happening. Well, it sounds good when you put it like that. I, yeah. I mean, if it were me, I'm not the kind of person who enjoys cooking. It's not something I, I like. I don't even think about food until I'm hungry. So everything I got to do is is five minutes or less. Could somebody in my situation still improve their diet? Well, yeah, abs- absolutely. So uh, you know what we uh, talk about a lot is is just cooking ahead. I would rather say on a Sunday night or even you know uh, uh, an afternoon, spend about 30, 40 minutes. You can cook a whole tray of vegetables that will probably stay fresh in your refrigerator for three, four days. You could heat them up the next day. You could put them in a salad. You can make a veggie sandwich. There's a ton of things to do. So invest up front early. The other thing is if you cook uh, some chicken or some beef, you can grill a bunch of it. You could freeze it and then just thaw it out, pop it in, 
under five minutes, I promise you could have a healthful meal. All right, and it's okay. cheaper. Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah, I can see that. You know, there's this um, analogy there's this, that's, that I've often heard used in talks uh, where people will compare changes that happen to you over time as being almost imperceptible to the point of being dangerous. And the analogy is, you know, you put a little frog in a pot of water and you slowly bring the water to, water to a boil, the frog will stay there and, and die, not realizing the change in the environment. Now, how true that is, I don't yeah. know, but, <laughs> but it's an interesting analogy. And I think there's probably a lot of patients that come to you that have, over the years, the situation has got progressively worse, the habits have become very ingrained, but they probably had an opportunity early on to make changes. There were probably some clues. Are there anything, those things that we can look for? Yeah, you know, it is, that is true that uh, the vantage point that I have is that many times when you come to see me, I will be looking at five or 10 years worth of records. Hmm. And this, in this conversation, fatty liver did not happen between today's visit and your prior visit with your primary care doctor a year ago, Ryan. This has been slowly progressing. And I believe what happens is we get, as, as humans, we get so set in our ways that it becomes cemented. Mm. And, and you only know one thing. I go to work. On the way home, I stop and get takeout. I finish work. I call my boyfriend, girlfriend, significant other. Meet me at Pete's barbecue place. And we eat. That's mm. it. Deviating to go to the market, deviating to say, look, we're going to sit here, put a little music on, and chop vegetables. That's not mm. in, that's not part of the wiring. And so you have to rewire the brain and muscle memory and, and everything else. Yeah, have something in place so when you do get hungry, when the, when the trigger to eat hits you, right. you've got a healthier option. Right. But what about going to the doctor? I mean, I, I've been to the doctor and and they've done a blood test and maybe there's been uh, one number that's a little different to, to what's normal, but the doctor might say something like, well, yeah, Ryan, let's, everything's looking good. Uh, we'll, we'll watch out for this. We'll see what's going on there. I mean, I see, yeah. <laughs> I see you smiling over there. Yeah. Uh, is What should we do when we hear things like that? Well, I, I think, and this is what I talk about with my patients and on the radio or any opportunity to spread the good word. You are a consumer. You are, you are making a business um, uh, exchange with your physician. You're going to pay them a few dollars to get advice and you have to understand what you're buying. You have to understand the results of your tests. And unfortunately, the, the, the common... The common uh, perception is that doctors are in a rush and they'll try to blow through it. You wait forever in the waiting room. You wait forever in, in the exam room. And then in three minutes, it's all over. And you're not getting your money's worth. And so to, you have to be a better consumer to say, slow down. What does that CAT scan show? Why is my platelet count slightly low? Explain it to me. I am a dummy. Please explain it to me. Do you have a reference? Anything you can tell me about it? So you have to demand more when you go to the doctor. That is, that is number one. And I think you stop them in their tracks and they'll explain it and you have a better sense. You have to go prepared to the doctor. I, I tell 
people all the time. You spend more time researching out a refrigerator on Saturday going to Sears before Sears closed down, right? Sears <laughs> went out of business, I think. Yeah, I think they sadly passed away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but people research things out. They'll go to consumer reports and online reviews. But your own health? Now you just walk in and take whatever they say. So that is not good. So you need to be prepared. Do not accept, as I like to say, you have a touch of diabetes, a touch of cholesterol, a touch of anything. I was speaking this morning to a group of OBGYN. I said the same thing. I said, nobody is a touch pregnant, right? (laughs) You're there, you're in or out. So being a better consumer, I think if there was one thing to say, be a better consumer. So if you see a number... Then, then pay attention if it's there over a period of time or, the, or it's elevated over a period of time. That could be something serious That or that could lead to something serious. Yeah, that may be your, uh, your, your sort of call to action and, and thank your, your, your stars that you, this was picked up. It was an abnormality. You could act on it early and have some sort of intervention rather than wait for everything to fall apart, the wheels are coming off, and you show up in my office with a big liver cancer, and it's not, oh, we're going to do this therapy or another, you're going right to liver transplant, which is a hell of a way to uh, look at this. Mm, yeah, and I, and I know you've got uh, you've got a calculator on your website, you've got lots of uh, great tips, tricks, and, and even uh, a link to where we can find some healthy food, and you go into great depth in your book, which I'm going to put a link to. It's Eating Yourself Sick. Yes, it uh, is. So we are eating ourselves sick, Ryan. I know, and I might be one of those people doing it. Although I'm fairly healthy. You I look think. good. You, you look... Know, I try to stay healthy, but... <laughs> He's fine. I've got a lot, I've got a lot of work, yeah. to, work to do myself, Dr. Galati. Thank you. Thank so you, Ryan. so much for your insights. It's I really great. I mean, any, any chance to talk with the public and uh, your followers, it's, uh, it's awesome. Great. Thank you very much. And again, I look forward to seeing everybody next month on the Happy Humans podcast, where we'll get a chance to learn a little bit about what's going on behind the doors at SpaceX. We'll talk more about that. Thank you, Dr. Galati. Absolutely, Ryan. Thank you.